This is the Making Ways podcast, sponsored by Ripple Effect. My name is Dave Roman, and we're here with Gary Schuster. Welcome, Gary. Hi, Dave. You support the use of nuclear energy in the United States. What's what's your background on that? I have a uh, bachelor's degree in physics and a uh, PhD in metallurgical engineering. Uh, when when studying for the uh, physics degree, I, I did take a class in nuclear physics. And uh, while working on my PhD, I, I took a class that, uh, uh, that was partly focused on, on the material problems associated with uh, nuclear power plants. Uh, in my professional career, I, I, I worked for a company called Materion. Materion is the world's largest beryllium producer, and they supply the nuclear industry with beryllium. I was the uh, research and uh, the director of, of research and development at Materion. So, in that position, I, I learned uh, a lot about beryllium's use in test reactors. Uh, we were also working with uh, uh, an international organization, ITER, for developing fusion reactors, and there were beryllium components in that fusion reactor. Which, which I worked on. And also our group was trying to improve the performance of commercial nuclear reactors by adding beryllium to the reactor core. So that's another thing that uh, I did. And because of that and, and other things, I, 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 do, I am quite familiar with the operations of commercial nuclear reactors and some of the uh, uh, concerns and uh, needs. So yes, I, I do have a reasonably good background in, in this area. And you support the use of nuclear energy? I do. I do. I think that uh, nuclear energy offers advantages over the, uh, the two main competing sources of energy for electrical generation, those being renewables and uh, fossil fuels. I think that nuclear has gotten a bad reputation, and it's it's understandable why this is so. But because of this, the uh, it's not a popular subject politically, which means that the regulatory environment is not good, and uh, that is part of its problem. So I, I'm very grateful that you give me this opportunity because when people understand it, I think they will be more supportive and the politicians will follow. What are some of the advantages of nuclear power over renewables or conventional well, energy there, sources? There's, there's three things I'd like to talk about. One is uh, sustainability, second one is cost, and, and the third is safety. So I think in, for all three of these, there are advantages with nuclear. And it wasn't so long ago that people in this country were worried about running out of oil and natural gas. We haven't, I haven't heard much about it in the mainstream media for the past few years, but that was a concern. And uh, there was a, a report that was paid for by British Petroleum back in 2020 that predicted we would run out of oil in 2067. The predictions were based upon the current rate of consumption and also that we would not be discovering new new fields. Uh, so both of those assumptions were probably wrong, but nevertheless, it's pretty established that 
we will someday run out of fossil fuels. And when we do, if we don't have some alternative way of producing power, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to sustain our way of life. The, the, the difference between the fossil fuels and, and nuclear is that we have about a 30,000-year supply of, uh, of uranium to run nuclear power plants. So whereas for fossil fuels, it's maybe 100 years, 30,000 years for uranium. And those are the known deposits of uranium. Those are known deposits, that's right. So actually, there's probably more. It's uh, essentially inexhaustible. It effectively is. You know, it, if we had all of our power being produced by nuclear, then, of course, our consumption rate would be way up. But like in the United States, 20% of the power, electrical power is produced by nuclear. So if we were consuming five times as much, 100%, 6,000 years of reserves. So 6,000 years if we haven't figured out a better way to power ourselves. I'm sure by that time we'll have uh, <laughs> better technology. And I, I think you're right, Dave. So we can uh, increase the use of nuclear energy safely and efficiently, and we have an, enough of it. Right. That's it. So from sustainability standpoint, it's the best that's out there. And and, I, and I'll talk a little bit more about that because you might say, what about renewables? Aren't they sustainable? The quick answer is yes, but there are other problems with renewables. So nuclear, I think, has the best combination of these three things. So sustainability is, is one thing. that We've got enough fuel to last us for a long time. And the other thing is, another sustainability aspect is that the fossil fuels are used for more than just fuels. The, the oil and natural gas are used in the production of petrochemicals, plastics, fertilizers, and there is no easy substitute for, for those. So if we run out of fossil fuels, it's going to be much more of a struggle to come up with a new way to fertilize our crops than it will be to substitute the fossil fuels with uh, nuclear. So you'd so, like to use the petroleum and natural gas to produce chemicals and plastics and all the other products that we need and, and uh, instead of burning them for energy. Exactly. It's a, a, another way to sustain our, our current way of, uh, of living. That's one. So another factor, of course, is cost. And uh, this one is, is a little more complicated in that if you do a, an online query, what you'll almost certainly find is that the renewable generating costs are reported as the lowest, fossil fuels are second, and nuclear is the most expensive. So the question becomes, well, given that, why would we want to choose nuclear? Well, the, the reason is that uh, what you find online on this is misleading or, or, or simply wrong. And uh, the first problem with what is reported is that it doesn't clearly, doesn't, doesn't seem to take into account all the subsidies that uh, the renewable energy sources are getting. So in particular, uh, wind turbines get the production tax credit and solar get the investment tax credit. So uh, between, the, between the production tax credit and the investment tax credit, more than one-third of the cost of building and operating wind and solar facilities uh, is picked up by the government. Um, They're really not viable without subsidies. That is part of the non-viability, sure. There, there's other reasons that uh, you don't want it to be depending upon renewables, and, and uh, I'll, I'll get to those 
really soon, but by in 2020, which is the data I had for this, more than $100 billion had been spent on subsidies for renewables. Now, now nuclear, of course, early in its history had subsidies too, but those subsidies disappeared as the industry fell into disfavor. Uh, actually, a little surprisingly, they, they seem to be coming back. That In uh, one of Biden's recently passed bills, he, uh, he wants to include the, in, the production tax credit with nuclear power. So if that happens, then, then the cost comparison that I mentioned will swing into a more favorable comparison. Uh, you know, my preference, preference would be to eliminate subsidies for all of them, but if you're going to have subsidies for one, then it seems only fair to have a roughly equal amount for the other. Let the free market decide. That, that, that's my preference, too. The second part that makes those online data very questionable is that they don't include all the costs that you incur with renewables. There's something called a capacity factor, which is essentially the percent of time that a generator is online versus the total time. So, so for example, the capacity factor for nuclear is 92%. Uh, so it's, it's operating 92% of the time making electricity. Uh, for in comparison, the uh, percent for for coal is 57 percent, for natural gas 52, wind 34, solar 22. So it doesn't always the sun doesn't always shine well, and the wind doesn't always blow. There there's there's two things here. One and, and you you just alluded to first that these wind and solar facilities are standing or sitting idle most of the time. I've noticed, but <laughs> I have too. But the second thing, and this is, might even be more important, is that you can't predict when they will be operating. So if you could, you could perhaps plan things to, to uh, be able to compensate for the fact that they're not running most of the time, but, but you cannot. And of course, customers expect their electricity on demand anytime. How do you fix this? Well, the only real way to fix it is to have spare unused capacity that you can call upon when needed. The problem with that is it's very costly. So you have to have all of the plants, you have to have them fueled, you have to have crews uh, standing by that can jump in and turn them on very quickly. So essentially you're like having double the operating costs because you've got your renewable costs and then you've got to have all this other stuff waiting on standby. When they do these calculations showing the costs of producing electricity, they do not include that. So that's a cost called intermittency. A group from the University of Chicago did a calculation to determine what was the most expensive versus uh, less expensive ways to generate electricity. And of course, Everyone except for these guys say it's renewables. These guys say no, and and they did they computed the costs in a very different way. Whereas these other groups look at the cost of building the, the plant, fuel costs. Uh, the, when you do that, yeah, renewables look really good. The Chicago group did something else. They looked at the cost or the, the what utilities were charging their customers and they looked at utilities that were increasing the percentage of power that they produced 
from renewables. And what they found was that the utilities that were having an increasing percent of energy produced by renewables were increasing the costs of the electricity that they sold to their customers faster than the ones that were not so fast in increasing renewables. It seems obvious to me that you're literally building conventional power plants, coal, gas, nuclear, to carry the load. And then on top of that, you're building this renewable stuff, which is not reliable. Uh, that's, uh, that's what they essentially concluded. They said that if the cost of renewable electricity was actually lower than for nuclear and fossil, then you would have expected that as they added more renewable, the cost to their, their customers would have gone down and it was going the other way. And they said the biggest reason for this was this cost of intermittency, that that they were handling that cost by, as you just mentioned, having to build all of the more conventional generating stations and thereby being able to also say we're supplying you with uh, renewables. That, to me, seems like the most credible way of computing these costs, and that way came out with a very different conclusion than what the uh, other reports have I would call it a farce. <laughs> and, and lastly, there, there are ways that nuclear costs can be reduced. Much of the reason why the costs of nuclear are so high is regulatory. So you've got... Politics. It, well, yes, yes, indeed. And, and in particular, uh, licensing. You've got to set up, to start a nuclear plant, you've got to get two licenses. One, you have to have the design of the plant reviewed and have that approved. Second, you have to get the site approved. In this country, it takes typically 15 years from the time that you decide to build a plant before you can actually start bringing money in from customers who are paying for the electricity. If you're building a renewable plant, it's like two to three years. Even two to thirty years is absurd. Well, it it could be, but it's a heck of a lot quicker than what the nuclear industry is faced with. That's a generation. <laughs> it's it's a long time. You know, there there are many reasons for it. Other countries, Asia in particular, has a lot of nuclear plants, and and they build them for half the cost. Uh, so much of that is believed to be they have regulations that are not as onerous, and we shoot ourselves in the foot. And, and it, it, partly you have a, a problem here because it's so expensive, because it's so time-consuming, people don't want to build them. And because they don't want to build them, you don't get standard designs, you don't get right. modular construction, you don't put a lot on the same site. By making it easier to get the licensing and approvals and not have nuisance lawsuits, you would make this the construction probably much less costly. That high construction cost and long wait, that really kills you because the, the, these costs, they're, they're net present value calculation. So if you've got a long time between the high initial cost and before you start collecting money, it's going to cost you a lot more. And that's, that's where the nuclear industry is now. I've said for years that we're, their, we're our own worst enemy. Yes. Now forget our foreign competitors. It, we're our own worst we, enemy. We, uh, uh, for the nuclear industry, I think that's absolutely right. The last item is safety, and this is one that I think might surprise some of your listeners. What do you mean? What do I mean by safety? Well, you know, it's probably lots of different metrics that you could use. The one that I've found, I think that's probably the best, is uh, this calculation. Uh, it's 
the death rate per terawatt hour of uh, electricity produced, and it's, it's a worldwide number. So what in the heck do I mean here? Well, uh, a terawatt is 10 to the 12th watts. So you run that wattage for one hour, and that's the amount of energy. There's different sources for the uh, energy to, to make that electricity. So coal is the worst, which uh, probably no surprise to anyone. 161 people die for every terawatt hour of uh, electrical energy produced. Could you explain that a little bit? Does this include coal mining accidents, air pollution? What, 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 how, how are those people dying? You know, it's a, that's a good question, Dave. And, and I'm not sure everything that goes into it, like the coal mining accidents, that probably should be included. But the, the main thing is that you put a lot of particulate matter into the uh, atmosphere when you burn coal. And, and so that is believed to be probably the main, uh, I'm guessing that's the main right. uh, source of this. Another thing that people don't realize is that a coal burning plant puts 100 times more radioactivity into the atmosphere heard than a nuclear plant. Because there's trace amounts of, of radioactive substances that's right. in the coal, and that's you burn right. the coal, it releases into the atmosphere. That's right. Thorium and uranium are in coal, and it all goes out the stack and into the environment. Whereas with nuclear, it's it's very much contained. I'd rather live next to nuclear. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, it'd be no question. 161 deaths per terawatt hour worldwide for coal, 36 for oil, 4 for natural gas, 0.44 for solar, 0.15 for wind, and 0.04 for nuclear. The number for nuclear is surprisingly low. Why is this? Well, people, of course, when they hear nuclear, think of some widely reported disasters. And, and the lead-off one, uh, I think everyone would agree, is Chernobyl. It uh, happened in 1986. As a result of Chernobyl, there were 31 immediate deaths and four, an estimated 4,000 premature deaths. The second worst nuclear power plant accident was Fukushima. So that's Japan, it, the plant was flooded from a tsunami, lost power, core was broached, two deaths. Third worst, Three Mile Island, 1979, Pennsylvania, no deaths. So there was really one major incident for nuclear power plants. Approximately 4,000 people died in the United States. Each year, it's estimated that over 13,000 people die from the emissions of coal-fired plants. Nuclear, as far as radioactivity, there was essentially just one incident, and beyond that, there haven't been deaths due to nuclear plants. What are the dangers, then, of storing nuclear waste? It's, that's a good question. I tried to find specific information on that. I, I went did some online searching, and there are no reported deaths from incidents with long-term storage of nuclear waste. So that, by all indications, seems to be a, uh, a not a very hazardous activity. The uh, nuclear waste now from our power plants is stored on the sites of the reactors. So this wasn't what was planned. The original plan was to store them the waste there temporarily until Yucca Mountain was mm -hmm. ready. And, and it actually 
done the, uh, the studies to show that it was a safe site, and they'd done a lot of work to prepare Yucca Mountain for mm-hmm. this storage. But uh, when the time got close, uh, it was a uh, politics, a, a political de- decision that it was in Nevada. What's his name? Harry Reid. Terry Reid, or Harry Reid. He was the uh, Senate Majority Leader, had a lot of political pull, and uh, he, he killed it. The United States does not have a, uh, a plan to store all of the nuclear waste in one central repository. It would have advantages to do that. The, the advantages are you have one site to inspect to make sure all the safety protocols were being followed, and there's some risk that a terrorist will try to do something very destructive to, to blow up a, a storage site and, and, and spread some nuclear waste. But as far as operations are concerned, the, the technology to encapsulate and store waste for long periods of time is, is well established and, and can be done pretty safely. The, the waste problem, and it's one that people bring up, and it's definitely something that needs to be taken care of, but there really doesn't seem to be a problem now. The cartoons you'd see online, you know, The Simpsons and, and movies, there's no barrels of green goo leaking all over the place. It's all solid waste. That's right. And you can reprocess it and reduce its uh, volume. It, it, it could be. Now, reprocessing isn't occurring in this country, but it, it definitely Again, a political could be. decision. Yes, yes, indeed. And, and it should be. It should be. You, you, you could get... Uh, a lot more fuel. The plutonium you extract could could be burnt, and it should be. It and for political reasons, and and there's to be fair. There's you you need to be careful if you're dealing with plutonium. Then you've got to be extra careful that it remains secure. Yeah. But it's something that could be done, and if we had the political will, it would be done. It seems to all come down to politics. You know, if it wasn't for politics, I think we'd have 100% nuclear energy in this country. You know, you know, for electricity that is, and uh, it seems to me that it, that's the most efficient way of, of generating electricity, the most reliable way. I, I I agree. You know, I think if I if you had the perfect world, you you, you would have a diversity of of sources. You know, just I, I, it's hard to imagine ever nuclear being less dependable than say renewables or fossil, but it it could be that some for some reason. Your nuclear has to be taken out, and then what are you left with? Well, so if we had a diverse supply, we would have something else to fall back on. But right now, I would say nuclear is the most dependable, and if we had our politics right, it might be the, the cheapest and... Uh, most efficient, uh, yeah, safest, obviously. everything, yes. Gary, thanks for being with us. Thank you. This has been the Making Ways Podcast, sponsored by Ripple Effect. My name's Dave Roman.